What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 188 of the Lynch with Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you, as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the spaces and places that God has put us. So glad you are with us today. We get to sit down with radio host and author Carmen LaBurge. Carmen has just been so gifted with her abilities to be on radio, to be comfortable speaking with people, to be quick on her feet. And, you know, Carmen is just one of those people that equips real world Christians with real talking points for life in this world. And we get to unpack her newest book, Speak the Truth. You are going to enjoy Carmen so much. And so I don't know where you're listening from today. I don't know what brought you on this call, but I am so glad you are with us. So wherever you're listening from today, I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my conversation with Carmen LaBurge. Well, Carmen, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch for the Leader. It is an honor to have you. Mike, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, it's so fun. You know, it's so neat to see the work of somebody. This new book, Speak the Truth, that we're going to talk about here in a few minutes is so good. But that is the work of where you are now. Give me a little of your backstory. Tell me a little bit about what's gotten you to today. Wow. Okay. So um, I don't have a clear um, career path for sure. I mean, if you were to look at my resume, you'd be like, wow, she's a little bit been all over the map. And that is because I, I will do the next thing that God puts in front of Mm -hmm. me to do. And I trust that everything that he has led me to along the way has been preparation for whatever it is he wants me to do next. Um, And so I'm not a person who would have said, oh, gosh, I charted out a path to be an author and a talk show radio host. And um, and, you know, and that's why I got a finance degree, because that makes sense. Um, So um, so I think that um, I think that my early influence of young life, both in high school and then in college, being a young life leader and coming up through a ministry where you're really encouraged to know Jesus and make him known. Mm. There's this incarnational approach, you know, that not only do we want to have good theology about understanding who Christ is and what he has done for us, and we want to be reconnected to God, um, you know, through Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit, but we also want to be people who make that manifest to others. Like, Mm. so you're walking around in the world, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, you are representing Christ. And I got to tell you, Mike, I mean, that's, I got hooked on that idea and on that understanding of myself. And, um, and so that's really, I think still today, what I'm seeking to compel other people to do. So it doesn't really matter to me if the audience is preschoolers or, you know, geriatrics, like, I don't care if I can open the Bible with a group of people and encourage them to walk out their faith into the world that God so loves and to do so in ways that honor Jesus. The environment of the ministry or the leadership opportunity doesn't is irrelevant. It doesn't matter if it's a ball field. It doesn't matter if it's a, you know, if it's a kitchen. I mean, I I like to cook. And so, you know, I'll cook in front of people and I'll talk about Jesus. Like these, mm. it doesn't, yeah. So I would say that in terms of how I got here, one, um, one step in front of the other, lots of folks giving me opportunities that I certainly didn't earn or deserve. Um, I would say that, the death of my dad when I was in high school is a faith formative experience. It's also a life informing experience. There's just no question that as I look back over, you know, over the course of my life, um, my familiarity and actually my like 
level of comfort with death, which I know sounds a little crazy, but like I'm I'm pretty comfortable um, with the idea that I'm going to die and so is everybody else. And so this life is really short. Eternity is really long. And I want to make sure that the people I meet and love are going to spend eternity uh, together with Jesus. Yeah, that that's really interesting because a lot of what I hear come out of you in your interviews, what I hear come out of you in your book, it's about the urgency of the moment. It's about taking advantage. So you think a lot of that is out of that experience you walked through with your dad? Totally. I mean, mm. I mean, Mike, if you and I get to the end of this interview, like, right, I count that as like a miracle. We both survived it. And um, <laughs> I mean, right. So I live as if any moment could be the last one. Mm. Um, but I also, um, but I also live recognizing that there's a whole lot left to do. And we're so privileged to be living in this time period of history where we have so much opportunity to advance the gospel in so many ways. Like, why wouldn't we be doing it? Why wouldn't we take advantage of every technology, every moment, every conversation, every environment, and in all of those spaces and places through everything that God's placed within our reach? Why wouldn't we use it all? to advance the gospel. So yeah, there's an urgency to the moment, but there's also this like incredible opportunity of the time in which we live. We, we were talking earlier before we went on air about, you know, our both of our love of athletics and we were talking about softball for you. If I could have caught you, your junior, your high school, we're sitting in the dugout and I'd have gone, listen, let me fast forward a little bit. One day you're going to be a, a nationwide talk show host. You're going to be an author. You are going to be making a difference in our world. What do you think you would have said to that? I would have said something like, well, have I been the governor yet? Like, have I done? <laughs> like, ah, I don't know. That's Am great. I yeah. So I don't think any of that would have surprised me. I grew up with parents who were very actively engaged, both in their work, but also in our community and in the church and um, and have, have like had that expectation all along that um, you're going to make a difference. Mm, um, mm. And you can either do that on purpose and in a way that's purposeful, or you can sort of accidentally make a difference in a way that may or may not glorify God and certainly may or may not edify you. So I think that having a game plan, knowing your position, um, actively engaging uh, as a part of the team, one of the things that if you'd asked me in high school, as a junior in high school, um, one of the things that came to mind in terms of dugout conversations, it's interesting, I had Coach Fife was my high school softball coach, and um, I was the catcher, and this may not surprise you, but I kind of had a big personality, and so I was pretty directive even then. And I remember riding back um, from a game on, on a bus once and, and you know, Coach Fife asking me to come and sit in the seat behind him, which was like not necessarily something that you wanted to be called yeah. forward on the bus yeah. to do. I can't remember if we won or lost the game. I can't remember if I performed well in the game, but I do remember the conversation that we had at the front of the bus. And he said, Carmen, you are always going to have an opportunity to have a spotlight. Like that's, mm. that's just not something in your life that you're ever going to have to fight for. But there's a lot of other people on this team, and they need opportunities to have some time in the spotlight. And you're going to have to find a way to help them get some light um, because, you know, you're you're taking up a lot of the light, I think, is was his point. Um, that has stuck with me. And mm. I feel like now what I have the opportunity to do every single day on air is lift up other people, let other people shine. God wants every single person's light to so shine before others that when people see that person's little light, however small or large it is, God will get the glory. And so um, I think that that's now my understanding of what I'm in the world to do is to elevate the voices of others and what God's doing in and through other people and let them really shine. That's a phenomenal story. And I think of all the coaches that listen in on this that that wonder, do I make a difference? I mean, this kid's playing for me. We didn't win the state championship. We didn't win the national championship. We didn't even win that game. But every conversation matters. What would you say to a coach that 
sometimes feels like, well, it doesn't matter. This kid, they didn't even hear me. Nobody wants to sit beside me on the bus. Nobody wants to sit behind me for me to tell them something. What would you tell them about the power of their words? You have um, you have so much influence in the life of those young men and women. Um, and outside of their parents, you're probably the most important voice in their life right now. Mm. Um, and so pray for them by name, call them by name, um, never, never belittle them because they value your opinion of them more than you could ever imagine. Don't, don't confuse your role in their life. Like they don't need a friend. They don't need a, they don't need a friend. They need a coach. Mm. Um, and so take that seriously and, you know, and recognize you, you really are the strongest voice in their life outside of their parents. There's no question about that. The number of hours I spent, you know, with coach Fife, um, far outweighs the number of hours I ever spent with a youth ministry leader when I was in high school. Right. And so you really are such an important integral role model, um, in the life of your students. Let them, the other thing I would say is let them see your life. I mean, first of all, live your life in a way that's worthy of them seeing for sure, but let them see your life. I think about, um, you know, the, the access that I had in high school and in college to some particular like young couples who were newly married. They were just starting their families. When you're a high schooler, you don't see that. You don't get to be on the inside of that. And so where do you ever learn that? Mm. You you don't remember your own parents going through that. Um, and so let them into your life and like see what it looks like to be a young adult who is um, in a committed marriage and raising little kids and balancing all of that. I mean, I just, I guess those would be some of the things, the life on life discipleship that you have the opportunity to do with young people, just, just never underestimate the power of that. That's fantastic. You know, it's so funny. We, we get to this place we are in life and we look back in the rearview mirror and we see how all these things have fallen together. You, you losing your father, you being involved in young life, you, going through what you've been through, you ended up on the radio, you getting this, where did the burden to write this book come from? This wasn't a, you woke up one morning and went, Hey, I got a great idea of a book. This probably had been sitting and burning in you for a while. Walk me back into that a little bit about where that burden came from. So one of the questions that I probably have gotten more often than any other question is like, how did we get here? When mm. people survey the cultural reality or even the reality of the challenges that they're facing in their relationships with their family, the identity crisis of emerging emerging generations, or even the identity crisis that maybe people feel like we have as a country, like, right? Like, who are we and how did we get here? Um, I, my answer to that question is often like, well, when did you fall asleep at the wheel? Because mm. mm. we got here because Christians in this culture, like, went to sleep or something. So I think part of the motivation to write the book, it grows out of the fact that that's the question I get most often, not only how did we get here, but okay, now what do I do? Because yeah. I'm so afraid to say something that somebody might find offensive. Um, and yet the gospel is going to be an offense, I mean, to a lot of people. And so how do I present the gospel maybe in a way that is persuasive? Um, how do I, how do I talk about things that are really hard to talk about? Um, and Mike, I, I don't find those things difficult. And so it became a curiosity to me that what I don't find difficult, other people find very difficult. And so I thought, well, let's give them the tools that I have and, and see if they put them into practice, if it helps them. So there you go. I mean, that's really my that's really my motivation to share with others what has worked for me. That's really good. What do you think God wired in you to make you not find that difficult? Because I think, you know, for the average person, man, it's it's they want to be Switzerland. They just want to be, you know, I want to be out of the fray. I don't want to disturb anybody. I don't want to bother anybody. What was it that God hardwired in you to prepare you for this moment? When the gospel was pre presented to me, um, I didn't know that other people said yes to God, but then like withheld parts of themselves. I was all in from the beginning. Um, I, 
I, and I, and I've never looked back. I, I am all in. And so when you ask me what's, what's in me, well, the Holy spirit is in me. Like mm. I, I am all in, he can do whatever he wants with this life. Um, I got, I got nothing. I have mm. nothing. Um, and so I think that that is different about me than many people who I meet who they're concerned about their reputation or they're concerned about making a name for themselves or they're concerned about not offending somebody. And I'm like, I'm all in. Like, however God wants to use me and use me up or cast me aside, whatever, this is, I, it, it really is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in mm. me. I am a Galatians 2.20 person. Um, and so I I think that's my answer to your question. Like, I, I can't imagine how awfully complicated my life would be if I was trying to satisfy an audience of people instead of just an audience of one. I got, I got it. There might be hundreds of thousands of people listening every single day to me in the morning um, on Mornings with Carmen, but I'm really only doing it for an audience of one. I want to glorify God and I want to edify people. Um, and I want people to be in the word of God because mm. I know that once the word of God gets into a person, um, everything does really change. So the spirit is in me. The word is in me. A passion uh, for the gospel is in me. And I think that makes it possible for me to enter into conversations um, that are complex and deep and controversial and contentious and do so with a spirit of love and compassion and um, and a desire that people would know the truth and be set free. And and I love that. And that came out in the book because I think it's easy to hear it. And we we hear the whole speak the truth. Well, I'm just going to bust you upside the head and walk away. You, you made a statement. I thought it was really good. You said uh, that that we need to engage the culture in a way that honors Jesus. That is a phenomenal thought. So let's play that out. We've got a lot of leaders listening in that lead companies, they lead businesses, they lead offices, they lead families, they lead they lead their school as principals. What are ways that we can engage with people that do not agree with us, but the way we engage it, it honors the Lord? Give me some scenarios of what that might look like. Well, I'll give you a I'll give you a, a thought point first. Okay. People don't need another piece of your mind. That's right. They need the peace of the mind of Christ. So if I can get myself far enough out of the way that I am not worried about whether or not I have convinced you of something, but I have presented Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, in every scenario, I'm like actually offering the the gospel and the way that maybe we all learned it as the Romans road. So I'm not, I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying that, right. It's a, it's that kind of presentation of the gospel, but everything, everything is a presentation of the gospel. If we could get our hearts and minds around that, um, what we prepare for dinner and how we prepare it, how we serve it, that is a gospel presentation. Um, whether or not there is room and capacity in my heart um, for that person who stands, uh, you know, in the middle of the intersection with that cardboard sign, like how I prepare myself to engage with that individual, whether or not I know her name, um, whether or not I'm I'm prepared to engage her as a human being, like that's a gospel presentation. Mm -hmm. That's not me preaching anything to anybody. But if Betsy on the corner knows my name and waves at me knowingly because I see her every day, Mike, like, right. And, and Betsy's a Christian too, like, right. So I'm just saying that like, there is this way of operating in the world. Um, some people find it, well, they finally, they, they frankly describe it like, as like, I'm, I'm into everybody's business. Mm. Carmen's just into everybody's business. Well, here's the reality of that. It's all the father's business. Mm. It's it's all his. There's not a person that you and I are going to encounter today that God doesn't care about. So it's all his business. So if you think I'm getting up into your business, well, that's because I view you as really important to God. 
And so I'm not going to ignore you or your need or your obvious angst um, because God's concerned about those things. That's so I great, can't even remember the question that you asked. That's it. But but I, I don't wandered, either, but that was a stinking good answer. How about that? Where were we at? That was a really I've good now answer. I wandered around into listen, an answer. Listen. Getting us together to try to go through questions is probably not the best thing in the world. I I can start talking and look and look down at everybody else's glazed over. So you're you're doing you're doing really well. So and when I think about that, there are ways that honor the Lord. So let me ask this question: Who is somebody you've witnessed in your lifetime? They've lived that well. So when people hear this, they go, "Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that gives me a context. That gives me somebody. Who is somebody you've witnessed that's a public figure, maybe that people may know that they have they have lived in society without bending to society, but they've honored the Lord and how they did it." What would anybody come to your mind? Um, Billy Graham comes to mind. Yeah. Um, I mean, actually, Mike Pence comes to mind. Mm. Um, I think about, um, Dolly Parton comes to mind. There's a thing about knowing the character and the ways of God, and it's not, and it's about representing or representing his character and doing so in his ways. So I think that's what I'm, um, I think that's what I'm pressing into. When you asked uh, who comes to mind, the first person that came to mind for me was my maternal grandmother, Robina Benefield, but she's not a public figure and never right. was. And right. So, uh, but in terms of seeing it witnessed in my own life, uh, she's the person who came most quickly to mind. That's cool. And I think for all of us, that would probably be the case. We think of, we it was for me as my mom, you know, sitting on the bank corner for 36 years and, Carmen and her husband come in to open a checking account. They're going to get a little bit of Jesus while they're sitting in there opening their checking account because how can you build a life without Jesus? And it was that was just who she was. She didn't mean to. She didn't try to. But that was she was like, I have been given that space in this little town in Fayetteville, Georgia, and I'm going to make the most of my space. And uh, yeah. And when people live it out, what are ways you've seen well-intentioned people dishonor Jesus? with how they confronted society. I think anytime that your approach to sharing the truth belittles another person, mm, mm. Um, you can't use a person who's present as an example of sin, degradation, debauch. I mean, like, right, you can't point at someone else. You can point to yourself. Yeah. You can certainly point to yourself and say, you know, I have experience. I, you know, these sins are a part of my past. Um, these are some of the challenges that I face, but you cannot point to another human being present in a space and say that person right there. Like you, you just can't do that because that might be the person that, God was trying to reach. And because you used them as your example or as your um, exemplar of sin and brokenness, like, right, the point got completely, nobody is going to want to be around you because everybody is sinful and they're going to think that the next time you're going to point at them. Like that's That's the, yeah. I mean, I I guess the, the, the example that comes to mind is there's a, preacher not far from where I live. And he chose to like publicly identify women in his congregation who he regarded as witches. Right. And he called them out during, during a worship service. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I would be terrified to go to your church because first of all, what in the world is going on? But, but right to call people out in the context of a time and a place when the, you know, people are expecting the gospel to be presented. And um, and so go one-on-one, I guess if, if, you know, be sure you're following the Matthew model to go one-on-one, if you really are convicted that you're supposed to help someone um, identify their sin by holding up a mirror to them. Um, but let's hold up mirrors in private, not in public. Great word. That is a great word. And especially for those of us in leadership positions, you know, even you'll hear great coaches, Hall of Fame coaches, they've never belittled one of their players publicly. 
but they've right. had a lot of tough conversations privately. There's a Amen. lot of things that went on in that office that never got shared publicly till after the fact. That is a that is a really good word. You did a great job in the book. You, you talked about the conversation Jesus had on the walk to Emmaus with the guys that were walking. They didn't know who he was. They're they're leaving the scene of the crucifixion and what all had gone on that weekend and the craziness. What were what was it about Jesus's conversation going to Emmaus that grabbed you? I if there's any portion of scripture that's like not unpacked for us, that's the part I wish we had more of. I want to know all the ways that Jesus identified himself throughout the scriptures of the Old Testament. I mean, don't you wish you had that? Yep. Where, you know, Jesus is saying of himself something like, hey, well, my friend Job, you know, Job actually saw me walking in the land of the living. I mean, that's what's going on right now. Yep. Like, that, uh, what? Or, um, Hey, you remember Boaz? Let me talk about kinsmen redeemers or, you know, the way that that Jesus might have identified himself mm -hmm. in all of those places throughout what we, we receive as the Old Testament. I just I just wish we had that. I mean, wouldn't that be great? Now, I know. Bless his heart. I mean, when John says, if all the books that could, right. could be written about all that Jesus said and did, if we wrote them all down, like the, the world wouldn't be big enough to contain all the books that would be required. So I recognize that that's like work we have to do for ourselves. But the echo effect that we do have in the New Testament of all the things in the Old Testament is one of the things I just so appreciate and love and maybe wish we had a little more of because I think that many Christians have only spent time in the New Testament and you can't really understand all of who Jesus is and all the promises of God that are fulfilled in him. If you're not intimately familiar with the entirety of the old Testament. Yeah. It's so interesting because he's much more aware of our daily lives than we give him credit for. And he's much more involved in our daily lives. When, when a person wakes up and they wake up with the thought that, he is involved in who I am today and how I live today. What could change about our society? So we we have a phrase at Northstar, we love God, we love people, we live sent. So if people lived sent, they woke up and went, all right, I'm on a mission today. I've got a calling today. I've got something to go do today. I've got something uniquely designed for me today. What could change for them and what could change about our country? Well, first of all, I love that we live sent. I love that. Um, the Great Commission is not just something that Jesus said and and like, right, it's not it's not just the words or even just the um, the idea of, you know, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The Great Commission is that. Nope. But the Great Commission is also we, the people who have been commissioned. We are the Great Commission. Mm. And so if we would view ourselves that way, if we would see ourselves as the sent people of God, if we would see ourselves as the ambassador of the king and the kingdom in the midst of the kingdoms of this world, we would walk around with more dignity than we do. We would carry ourselves differently into the spaces and places of the world, because we would see ourselves as ambassadors. And when you yep. think for a moment about what an ambassador is and, and, and how they live and what they're in a culture to do, they are there to represent another king and kingdom or another country. And so how do I represent the character of God and the principles of the kingdom of heaven? How do I be a living demonstration of all of that in the midst of whatever kingdom I'm in right now? The kingdom I happen to be in is the United States of America in the 21st century. But another Christian, just like me, um, you know, lives in another kingdom reality, uh, small K kingdom in China. And she's trying to live the same life that I'm trying to live, glorifying God in every moment, being a representative of Christ in her community, 
Um, and I can't forget that. Like, I can't forget that this is happening. The, the great commission that I'm a part of is happening around the globe right now. And it's happening through people who are like me who, because they're possessed of the Holy Spirit, mm. because they're saved in Christ Jesus. Um, and so for me, it's it's every square inch, every square inch in every direction, every single day. Um, and so when you ask if we got up in the morning and we understood that that's who we are and that's what we're in the world to do, then whatever square inch God gives you, then that's the square inch you're responsible for to represent Christ. So if that square inch is at the grocery store, then be Christ in that place. If your square inch is sitting in the line at school to pick up kids, be Christ in that place. If your square inch is a corporate boardroom, be Christ in that place. Like, And, and if you happen to be the person that, that God sends to proclaim to the nations the good news of the gospel, then by all means, like, right, be Christ. But that's your yep. square inch. And so um, I'm an every square inch kind of girl. And I am, um, I'm a person who, when the alarm goes off at four in the morning, because I'm on the radio from six to 8 a.m., Monday to Friday. Um, and so at, when the alarm goes off at 4 a.m., I am like so energized to get up and get after it. And I want the enemy to like just shrivel just a little bit that I'm awake. Mm, and if mm. every Christian got up every morning with the conviction that today I'm going to take one square inch back from the enemy. I don't know what that square inch is, but today I'm in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm taking back one square inch because he can't have it. The enemy cannot have the place, the space, the people, the, the spheres of influence that God has granted to me as his ambassador. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to go for my square inch every single day. That's phenomenal. That is, that's a locker room talk. That's really good because it, it takes you from being reactive to proactive. It takes you from being on your heels and playing not to lose and playing to win because the reality is we're in a spiritual battle. I mean, Amen. Paul is so open about that. We're in a spiritual battle. If we began to understand as believers that it is a battlefield that we're in, what could that do to prepare us and help us? So we are in a battlefield, but we're in it, we're, but we're sent out there like farmers. So I just want to, because I think that the battle language is potentially overused in in our cultural conversations. And I don't want us as Christians to enter into the conversations of the day, just seeking to slay people. Yes. <laughs> right. So I want us to be culture gardeners. I want us to be people who um, till the soil of conversation. And yes, we remove the rocks and we plant the seed of the word of God and we shower people with the Holy Spirit um, and we trust God to give the growth, and we're looking for a harvest of righteousness, like all of those. I want us to be culture gardeners. That's good. Um, but I do recognize it's a spiritual battle. There's no question about that. We need to be guarding our hearts and guarding our minds, all of those good things. Um, um, how might things change if we approached life that way? Well, first of all, we wouldn't be just like carried along in the current of culture, because mm. I guess the third image you could use for culture is that it's a river. And yep. you're just sort of like being carried along by it. Like, don't do that. Stick your feet down and stand up. Like, stand up in the current of the culture today and say, I'm going to take my stand right here. Um, Ephesians 6, get all armored up and take your stand. And, you know, when you've done all you can do, trust that God's going to stand you. Yep. So that would be um, that would be part of that spiritual warfare conversation. I do have one other locker room talk to give. Come on. Okay, so this is a resilience conversation. Um, and this is a locker room talk that is be a tennis ball, not an egg. Mm. So, you know, eggs have wonderful qualities, but when you drop them, I mean, like, that's it. And so, you know, if we could be encouraging resilience with one another, um, the harder a tennis ball gets hit, right, yep. the harder it it reacts and moves forward. And it gets actually, if you look in at really slow motion, right, the tennis ball gets like super smushed. Mm -hmm. So what happens to us when the world 
squeezes us or strikes us? Like what happens? We are compressed, but what comes out? I want grace and truth to come mm, out of mm. me. I mean, everybody's full of something. That's probably another locker room talk. Um, you know, everybody's full of something. What are you full of? And I want to be a person who is full of grace and truth. And the only way that happens, the only way that happens is by the infilling of the Holy Spirit and by being a person who is in the word of God, that the word of God might be in us, that when the world presses us, and it will, what comes out of us is, is the truth and grace of Christ. And that's what we want to see happen as Christians engage in the culture today. That's fantastic. And I, you know, and I know you sent me a note right before we went on the air. You have a real passion for women in leadership too. And that women don't feel like they've been muted or silenced, but God has a role for them in leadership. Was that hard for you as a lady to find your voice or was it just your personality? I've got a voice and they got to put up with it. What, what's been more of your journey in that? And why is that a, why is that a passion for you to see women find their voice and find their space and place? I think women, um, I guess you just look throughout scripture, like, right. There's not a time or place where women haven't had significant spiritual influence. I think that we live in a, a complicated time for women who are Christians in this culture who are, you know, we're, we're, we're swimming in a culture that says it doesn't matter that you're a woman, but, oh, it really matters that you're a woman. And mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I don't know that that's the unique uh, point of influence um, of who I am. I want, um, I want women to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God and to use the spiritual gifts that they've been given and to do so in ways that honor Jesus in the same way that I want men to grow in the grace and honor of God and to use the spiritual gifts that they've been given to honor Jesus. Um, I want us to do it collaboratively um, and cooperatively where those environments, you know, are, are right places to do that. But, you know, I point to Billy Graham and to Mike Pence, like, kind of on purpose. Um, I think that the confusion in our culture today about, you know, women belong everywhere. I think it's ridiculous that women are in men's locker rooms in the same way that I think it's ridiculous that we think that men who think they're women should be in women's locker rooms. Like, right. I'm like, you cannot have it both ways. Right. You can't, you can't as a Christian be arguing that women's locker rooms should be for women if you're on the other side, you're arguing that female reporters should be in male locker rooms following ball games. I'm like, so let's let's be consistent. Let's honor God. Let's honor that we're made male and female, and that we're and that that there's a difference, um, and that there are environments that it's okay for women to talk to women and men to talk to men, and even for women to talk with women about men and men to talk with men about women. Yeah. And that should be okay with us. And we should not be, I don't know, quite as twisted up about all of it as sometimes we tend to be. You know, it's funny because you, and I'm glad you hit that because in scripture, you can't take out the role that ladies played, not only in the life of Christ, the Old Testament, but even in the life of Paul, we read a book, uh, Paul and his companions. I mean, it was huge. It was huge. You take women out of that journey. And I had a lady on this call a couple of years ago um, really push in on me about that and said, because I was talking about some leadership groups I was doing. And she said, do you have one for ladies, like lady leaders? And I was like, no. And we started one. It's one of the best things I've ever done. Because there's ladies hardwired like you that when they get up in the morning, they're going to cook breakfast uh, for their kids. They're going to pack their lunches and they're going to go to work. And they're going to run a board meeting and they're going to balance a budget and they got to come home and help with dinner and get their kids to ball fields because their husband's on the road traveling, but they're also leading while they're doing it. And I'm telling you, man, we got those ladies. I, I think I got together nine of them and I put them in a room and it was combustible because they all love Jesus and they're all trying to figure out, okay, what's one of them a talk show host here in Atlanta, actually on the radio in and they're all trying to figure this thing out. And man, when they got around other ladies and that iron started sharpening iron, I just got to sit back and watch it happen. It's a beautiful thing. 
And I wanted them to know the place they have, not only in the world, but in the church that, you know, we need you to use your gifts. We need you to use your, use your influence. You make a statement in the book and I thought this was so good. A revolutionary reorientation inside each one of us that leads to a redemptive revolution all around the world for us. Those are a lot of big words with a lot of power behind them. What led you to make that statement? And when you make it, what's going through your mind about what a revolutionary reorientation inside of each one of us looks like? Well, the battle, the battle is part of that. Um, revolution, it, you know, it means that there is something that has to radically change. And um, and a revolution means there's been a change in authority, a mm. change in governance. And so there is a, a, a need for each and every one of us to be sure that we're all in, back to part of our earlier conversation, um, that it's not me that it's really thee, or it's not mine, it's thine. The revolution part of that is, is that internal um, reorientation of my life where every part of me is aligned with the agenda of God, not only for me personally, but in this generation. Um, and then I start looking around for places to be a redemptive influence. And so that may mean um, I, I need to be focusing on a redeemed marriage. It may mean, or redeeming marriage in the culture. It may mean I need to redeem marriage or participate in redeeming marriage for the next generation. Um, and so for my stepchildren or for other children who um, who have grown up in a, an environment where there hasn't been a mom and a dad in the home, like, right, we've got to redeem marriage if we're going to demonstrate what it looks like to be the bride of Christ so that people actually know what marriage is in the culture today. Like there's so many revolutions that need to take place in our culture that are a part of the redemptive narrative of, of the gospel. Um, and so for me, there's, you could ask this question a hundred times and I'd give you a hundred different answers because there's that many different revolutions yeah. where we need to be a redemptive influence um, in the culture and in the world. So for you, it might, it, you know, look at the place where you say, all right, there's some nasty, unrighteous fruit. Like I see it in the culture that whatever that particular point is, maybe that's the place where God's calling you to be a redemptive influence. For me, it's going to be a different, you know, patch of earth that needs to be dug up and cultivated and, um, and re-sown and reseeded and, and all of those things. So, um, I think that the challenge is to answer the question in a way that's comprehensive enough that people can see, oh, everything is it needs to, to be uh, under this gospel revolution influence. But where I live, there's one square inch of it. And I got to figure out what that one square inch is and till that up, be a culture gardener right there, um, be a redemptive influence right there. Um and and turn it turn it over and turn it around. That's the revolution part. Is that you would, it would revolve all around Christ, and that the revolution would be that it's a new thing, um, directed toward Him. Yeah, and and all of that centers into knowing God's Word and knowing oh, who He is. Why? And it sounds so simplistic, Carmen. But why does it all come back to? You know, and we say this all the time at North Star, so I'll set this for our audience. We don't read the Bible so God loves us more. We read the Bible so we can love him more. He loves us as much today as he's ever going to love us, but we love him based on how much we know about him. Why for you is spending time in God's word and knowing it every day? You've been walking with the Lord for years, but why is it an active thing, not a passive thing for you? One of the things that my husband says all the time <clears throat> is until the word of God is restored to its rightful place in the life of the church, the church is not going to be restored to her rightful place in the life of the culture. Like we literally cannot do what we're called to do um, if if the word of God is not something that's in us and it's not going to get in us if we're not in it. 
So um, you can't know Jesus apart from the word. He is the word of God made flesh to dwell among us. So you can't be a person who's like, oh, well, I don't need the Bible. I know Jesus. Um, No, that's not possible. Um, And you really can't be advancing the gospel. I mean, how are you going to be teaching other people to obey everything that Christ has commanded, getting back to the Great Commission, if you don't know everything that Christ is recorded as having said? Um, and, And so... So that's a part of it. Um, there's also an accountability. Um, mm-hmm. There's a there's a tendency to just speak our own mind, all right, and to have our own truth. Okay, when I say speak the truth, I mean something specific by the word truth. Um, I don't just mean you know oh whatever comes to your mind in the passing moment. No, I mean I I mean what you know to be the truth that has set you free because you know the one who is the truth, because you have um, come to know him through the word of God, which is the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. I mean, that's it. You cannot know God the way God has revealed himself. Mm -hmm. You cannot know him apart from his word. And you're going to say, somebody's going to say, oh, you can know God through creation. Yes, you can. That's called general revelation, and everybody has access to it. But if I told you that you could have a relationship, um, you know, with me that, you know, based on um, something that I made versus having a relationship with me, wouldn't, I mean, I guess I would hope you would prefer to have the real thing, not just something that I made. And so it's one thing to know God through creation, which he has made, which is wonderful. But do you, are you interested enough in the God who is to actually know him? And that's going to happen by the power of the Holy Spirit when you open his word. You know, and you you love, you love it in Lamentations when he said his mercies are new every morning. What's something you know about the Lord now through your years of experience and your years of life that you wouldn't have understood when you were in college as a young life leader? You look, You love the Lord then. But there's something that's been cultivated through the years about the Lord in Carmen's life. What would you say that would be? He is enough and you can trust him. I think that the sufficiency of God, you know, my grace is is sufficient for you. Um, I don't think you know that until it has been tested. Mm. Um, And I don't think you know that God can be trusted until you've had to trust him. So for me, I would say that, you know, God has proven himself faithful. I mean, I could sing great is your faithfulness when I was in college, but you know, there's a limited number of things you've had to trust him for at that point. Um, And so the longer I journey with him, first of all, the sweeter I find him to be. And the more of God I find is yet to be discovered. He's so big. <laughs> See, that sounds ridiculous, but he's so big. Um, and he's so wonderful and he's so great and he's so good. Um, so the sufficiency of God, his goodness, um, his faithfulness, and that you can trust him. Those would be the things that have been cultivated over time in my life. That's so good. And we would have ascribed all those things when we were young. We would have known that. But there's a different knowing now. So there will be a day for all of us that we close our eyes here. We open our eyes there. You know, the scripture says in the book of Acts, David lived his purpose in his generation. Then he was done. He fell asleep. What do you think was the purpose when God knit you together, when he made you like he did, unlike anybody else in the world? What do you think was the purpose he created Carmen for? So it was to redeem marriage for Christina and Rebecca, Jonathan, Benjamin, Eliana, and Matthew. Those are my kids who... Um, I came into this marriage when they were all at various ages and stages of life, but, um, you know, they're all mine now. 
but redeeming marriage for them because marriage was a broken experience for them. Um, and so being Jim's wife, which sounds so strange to say, like, right, but I can say it because I, I have no doubt that um, redeeming marriage for my husband is a huge part of my calling because it's hard to be the person who gets left, mm. you know, who gets cheated on and left. That's really hard. Um, so those two things for sure. Um, and I think there's a little bit of yet to yet to in the answer to your question, because my grandbabies are just coming. And so um, Evelyn and Emma Decker, Coda and Ulrich so far, but you know, with six kids, there's an endless number of potential <laughs> grandbabies. And so grandma Carmen, I got to tell you, she has a calling. I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't like look at what I do professionally and, and necessarily say that it's, it's uh, the particular thing that God put me in the world to do, because I think that the intimate relationships that we have at home um, is where we ultimately have so much more influence than we ever have in on big platforms or, you know, where people read our name on a book. So, um, yeah, I think my, my particular calling, my unique calling almost has to be in the home where God has called me to dwell as an agent of his grace and, um, and hopefully an exemplar of what it looks like to be a, a, a godly woman who's pursuing him every day with all she is. Thank you so much, Carmen, for being my guest. You know, there's some guests that you have to pull some information out of, and they're not as comfortable on their feet. They just have lots of great stuff. Carmen was not one of those, man. She is so passionate, and I just appreciate it so much. So if you want any more information on Carmen, visit the show notes, and all the information is there. And man, I just can't say thank you enough for joining us. If you, uh, if you enjoy this podcast, man, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify. It really does help others find their way to us. Well, we get to sit down in the next episode with a repeat guest, John Deloney from Ramsey Solutions, and you are going to enjoy John so much. And we've had John on before, and he's one of my favorite episodes. And we get to unpack his newest book, The Non-Anxious Life, and it's going to be great. Thanks again for joining me today. Now, go love God, love people, and live sent. Have a great one, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.